You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. And I must say that in this crucial 2012 election year, perhaps no choice will be more compelling for American voters to make than which of our candidates for president of the United States possesses more of the qualities that together promise real national leadership in the trying times just ahead. And if leadership is the overwhelming issue before us, surely one of the best persons to parse it with us today is the head of the Francis Hesselbein Leadership Institute, formerly known as the Leader to Leader Institute and as the Peter F. Drucker Foundation for Nonprofit Management. Francis Hesselbein was CEO and an outstanding leader of the Girl Scouts of the USA for many years, has written wisely and widely on her life in leadership, has been awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for that wonderfully productive life, and most recently has been teaching at West Point as chair for the study of leadership at the United States Military Academy. Indeed, it's the study of leadership at West Point that particularly intrigues me with its implication of change. What I think of immediately is nature versus nurture. And I would begin today by asking my guest whether her experience over these many years really does indicate that leadership can be taught and acquired. What do you say? Peter Drucker always said, leadership cannot be taught, but it can be learned. Aha. If Isn't that learned, profound? But how then learned if not taught? The best way, the most effective way, is through the gift of example of leaders around us. I think when we can observe a leader, we listen carefully. We watch how the leader responds to other people. We watch for that respect for all people we hope to find. And I think when we have the privilege of being with leaders, real leaders, we learn far more than we could reading about them. But there, you and I were talking about John Gardner, John uh-huh. W. Gardner. Read John Gardner, and it would be hard to avoid being some kind of leader. Well, I think of his books, and I think of the programs John and I did together here on The Open Mind, uh, when he wrote about leadership, uh, when he wrote about other um, themes in life. And you mentioned before um, watching and having respect for others, and I gather that's one of your, um, yes. the marks of leadership. Respect for all people. It can't just be talk. But how does that fit into the notion uh, that politicians today seem to uh, embrace, 
that leadership needs to be tough and rough and there needs to be hard-boiled opposition to the other guy. It's why they're failing. It's why they fail. If we really believe that leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do, that it's the quality and character of the leader that determines the performance, the results, then we can understand why these people, very intelligent people, are failing. Why do you think they're failing? I mean, I don't mean how do you think they're failing. Why do you think they're not adopting what you've learned are the best principles of leadership? I, for some of them, perhaps it is um, failing to learn from the best of leaders and literature. And having a feeling that it's all about them. That's interesting. Not about the mission, the organization, the country, the future. Now, when you have a leader who is mission-focused, respect for all people, determined that whatever he or she does will help sustain the democracy, that's such a healthy focus, and they make an enormous difference. Now, the opposite, well, it's all about me, and I know everything, and so I will just tell them they've already failed. That's interesting because there are so many people who feel now we're in this presidential election year. You and I don't know yet who is going to be chosen as the Republican uh, standard bearer. Uh, we can be pretty sure that the Democrats will renominate President Obama. But there has been so much criticism of Obama as uh, not leading the way we thought he would lead. Do you feel otherwise? Do you think his restraint? Because certainly the criticism that has been made is that he has been too restrained and that a leader fights and pushes and attacks. That has not been my observation or my feeling. Um, I am very pleased that he is my president. And I respect, I love my country. And I respect the leader my country has put into office. So all of this, well, he isn't enough this way or he's too much that way. Um, why don't we look at the country? Listen to what he's trying to say and be honest about what he has achieved. Do you think we're capable of doing that? Yes, I think many of us are. But now, wait a minute, Francis. I'm, I'm asking when I say we, you know I'm talking about America today. Not talking about the olden times, as my kids no, would say. But I am saying right now what some people call the millennials, right. the age changes 28 or 30, 
right now, and there is scientific research to support what I am saying, right now, that generation is more like the 1930s and 40s generation that we now call the greatest generation. So I have enormous hope that this, the millennials, or um, Warren Bennis uh, calls them the crucible generation. I have great hope. It, that's so interesting because I, I, I was going to quote your remarks about that um, uh, from, from your comments on what you call the seasons and generations of leadership. And that's from the, the uh, winter edition of Leader to Leader. Yes. Uh, you, you do say that. Why, why this generation? Why this younger generation now? Well, if we pick up Warren Bennis's term, the country, all the generations have been through a crucible. We are now in 2012. And facing, sometimes in speeches I say, I think right now, our times we are at the lowest level of trust and the highest level of cynicism. Now, you can't sustain a democracy with that balance or imbalance. So I look for who are the people speaking out, doing something about it. It's this generation. And the Pew Center study of that generation Indeed, and this isn't just observation, scientific research. Generation right now, it's more like the 1930s and 40s. And it is so disturbing to most Americans, I believe, to hear this kind of language, the lack of respect the ugliness, the not quite honest statements. Our country deserves better. That's so interesting. Yes, surely our country deserves better. Uh, survival requires it. I'm certain yeah. you feel that way. Uh, our generation, my wife and I have certainly always felt we were blessed uh, and as I read your biographical materials, it's clear you were too blessed yes. by struggle, blessed yes. by hard times, blessed by depression and by war. That's and that right. sounds so darn strange to say that. No. Um, when you, if you read my stuff, you'll find my grandmother there. Indeed. Um, her family, seven Pringle brothers, 19 to 28, when Lincoln called for volunteers, they didn't say, three will go and four will stay home with wives and bait. They all went. So in my family, I have a long history from the Revolution, both sides, War of 1812, both sides, 
the Civil War. And my family kept letters. And it's heartbreaking sometimes when you read the letters from husbands and wives. The Battle of the Wilderness, a letter comes. But they loved their country. And when called, they served. Today, I'm very inspired with the young men and women at West Point, young men and women, and the older ones, the United States Army, because I do a lot of work with both. And I have enormous hope for the future because of the generation right now, the millennials. And wherever I go, I find people are serving. How did you become involved in the uh, in the larger theme of leadership? I know you acted it out in your work all through your life. You have uh, certainly in, with the Girl Scouts, you didn't expect to end up as the leader. Well, um, I must say, reluctantly and never planned, I was going to write poetry all of my life and just be quiet in the mountains of western Pennsylvania. Obviously, I know nothing about career planning because my life has been totally different. But I never said I will be a leader. I was never a leader in high school or junior college. I wrote a lot, thought a lot, loved it. But there's something called providence. One day, three men in this little Johnstown, Pennsylvania, calling me to inform me they have now found the leader for the uh, United Way campaign. They had never had a woman before. Well, fine, I can, I'll do it. Uh, a month later, I'm called upon to become the new CEO of the Girl Scouts of the U.S. of, pardon me, of Tallis Rock Girl Scout Council, Western Pennsylvania. And I explained to them, I'm sorry, but I can't. I was a troop leader, Troop 17, with 30 little 10-year-olds. But finally they pushed hard enough, and I said, yes. And that year, instead of having my co-chair, my vice chairman, a distinguished business leader as always before, they had this woman, I asked the president of the United Steelworkers to be my vice chairman. It was the only time organized labor had a leadership role. And he was wonderful. And that year, we had the highest per capita giving of any um, United Way because we engaged the whole community. And the women worked very hard because they were sure maybe the men would not support me as they should. Well, they did, and the women and the steelworkers, everyone in that marvelous Big Hearts town came together. And I gather you feel that some of the reasons why they did and why you succeeded 
was adherence to those principles. The most impressive, impressive one that I can think of is that respect for others. Yeah, an appreciation of, and then involvement, engagement. You don't just use part of a community. You bring everyone together. And when you engage people and they own it, it's amazing how they grow. But whatever the, the wonderful challenge is, they make it their own. Switching, in a sense, but not really switching back to this question of where we are today, uh, you're unhappy with the uh, viciousness and the partisanship of our contemporary political scene. I love my country, and we don't behave that way. But we do behave that way. We should not. We should not. Do you think Americans will make those who do pay a price? Eventually. Finally, we're going to say, I'm sorry, but enough of this. Do you think we're going to say that in 2012? Well, even my blood type is B positive, so I hope so. If not, um, people of our country will find a way. This, no one is happy with this kind of language, behavior, lack of respect. I think of the other countries around the world that have taken us as their model. And they're looking at us and saying, what happened? How could they do this? And yet, Francis, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, if you turn on the television set, uh, we're taping this program mid-January, uh, 2012. You and I go home this evening to our respective television sets and turn on uh, the last of the South Carolina debates. Yep. A pretty good bet, safe bet that we might make is that the same attack, attack, attack will mar, I was going to say mark, but mar uh, the event, and more is promised for the actual presidential race itself. Your prediction is that we'll tire of it. I think enough of us, and you and I have to be two of them, enough of us will say, this is not the way a country deserves well, do you think, let me, let me be very specific. Um, and I, certainly I can appreciate it if you say, look, that's political, I don't want to do that. Uh, going back to the way that President Obama has comported himself and that constant carping criticism, you should have been tougher, you should have been tougher instead of compromising, instead of compromising here and then compromising from the compromise that you've already made. Uh, what do you think about that criticism, that that's not leadership? Compromise is not leadership. Um, I think some of the criticism is based on the racism in our country. 
You know, you're the first person who sat here to say that, even though I've certainly felt that. Well, no one wants to say it. But there are studies about the rising racism and classism in the United States. And I think we should judge our president and observe his action, what he is doing, how. Um, and we do not let racism creep into it. You've seen that. You've observed that. That's your sense of what's happening. Yes. Yes. And in our country, we have the greatest institutions in the world. We have some of the greatest leaders in the world. And we all need to get together and say, that's not good enough. You know, four years ago, I certainly knew what had happened election day because we sat up, as everyone did, and watched. Yes. Uh, the next morning, though, when I opened the door and there was the New York Times with its headline of Obama elected, uh, I swear I cried because I thought, thank God my country has done the right thing. And I wasn't talking about Obama versus McCain. I was talking oh, no. about question of being able. Yeah. The right person at the right time. And without consideration of, of race. But now you feel we are backing away from... Some, some of us are. Not the country. But enough of us are that it is obvious and right out in our faces. And um, that's why I think... If you're a newspaper magazine, be very careful about what you print and how you print it. Because you could be used. Tell me what you mean. Well, suppose I write um, a letter to the editor, or maybe I'm asked to write observations and these pieces are not what you would want to share. They're very personal and vituperative and nothing that should be in, not that we're censoring, which is a limit. And um, I just think our people deserve the best editorials, the most objective reporting. And the other night, I saw something. Monday night, I was trying to find a program, uh, PBS, and it stopped at C-SPAN. And there was General Martin Dempsey, Chief of Staff, speaking at Duke, it caught me. I, I stayed there, and for the first time I can remember, 
sat there with a pad and took copious notes. It was the most objective um, I felt as an American citizen, I was just so lucky to have caught General Dempsey. He talked about the army and the citizen of this country, but he was talking about the army used to be, and now it leads from the bottom up, not the top down. And but the way he talked about his country, and I was just wishing. I made notes until he finished. Next morning, I called a staff meeting of our institute, and I said, I want to share with you something that happened last night. So I shared the major points he made. It was a great learning experience for our people. So when someone like that, in a leadership position, speaks, how do we share it? Now, that was a very small, tiny act of mine. But every time there's something positive and healing, I think you and I have to be healers and unifiers. Accent the positive, eliminate the negative. All right. You're the kind of person who always believes that the glass is half full. Uh, I'm afraid. No, no, pardon me. I believe it's flowing over. Ah. <laughs> Better yet. None of this half-full business. Better yet. Okay. Maybe that's why you've been so successful as a leader and, if, as you forgive me, as a teacher of leading. Uh, it can be learned yes. by observation. Together. That's why I guess you've been so impressed with your experience with the West Point, at West yes. Point. Yes. When I step on those grounds, I'll say it, I say to myself, I am on hallowed grounds. Now in 1802, the first classes were held at West Point. And you, do you want to believe that the first classes were held then and I'm being given the signal that I've got to say goodbye to you now because our time is up? Well, I hate to say, I'm not saying goodbye to you. I'm saying thank you very much and I hope we meet again. And I hope and trust we'll meet again at this table. Thank you, Frances Hasselbein. I'm deeply honored. Thank you. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. And meanwhile, as an old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online right now or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 or so other Open Minds and related programs. That's 13.org slash openmind.